holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It has been a busy week, if not necessarily a busy week from an Arsenal point of view, because they do that thing, don't they, after we lose a game. There's usually a bit of radio silence. You know, the news is quiet and the social media is quiet and there's, uh, they try and keep things in-house as they get ready to respond in the next game. You know how it is. But from a podcasting point of view, it's been a very busy week because we had the Arsecast Extra on Monday. We had the David Ornstein Arsecast on Tuesday. And once again, thank you very much indeed to everybody for all the feedback on that episode. Uh, you know, you don't get an awful lot of feedback when it comes to podcasts in general. I don't know if it's just culturally people don't often do that, but it was great uh, that people seemed to like it and everybody shared it. And I do appreciate that and appreciate David uh, giving me his time. And I'm glad everybody enjoyed the show. If it's given us a bit of a, an insight into what's going on behind the scenes at Arsenal, then all the better. And on Wednesday night, we had for our Patreon members a live stream, a live streaming video. Uh, in which we take uh, comments from viewers on YouTube and we discuss uh, what's going on. Myself and Andrew Allen did that. So it feels like I've spent the entire week talking into a microphone about Arsenal. Which isn't to complain, by the way. There are many worse things somebody could be doing behind a microphone, and trust me, I have done many of them in my time. Whether that's uh, working for a radio station that you really don't want to be working for, or saying things on a script that you really don't want to say. But, you know, someone's paying you to do it, and it pays the bills, and even if you feel grotty and dirty and shameful inside, you've still got to do it because, you know, that's the job. This weekend at Dano's Nightclub, County Tipperary's greatest Maroon 5 tribute act, Vermilion 6, playing all their hits like this one and many more. And when they run out, Phil Collins. The music never stops. Dano's Nightclub. Entry £15 with a free pint and chicken curry. Look, that is the job. Ask any voiceover bloke or lady if they have done stuff or said stuff that they, they didn't want to say. Of course they have. Was I paid 2,000 euros to whisper McCavity the mystery cat in ASMR style for somebody? That is neither here nor there. I'm just saying that there are things that you could be doing behind a microphone that are worse than what I've been doing this week. And I uh, really appreciate the fact that I can sit here and talk to you guys about Arsenal. A little bit of team news later on in the podcast as we look ahead to the game against Huddersfield on Saturday. 3 p.m. kickoff on a Saturday. Insert the usual gag here about how that's never going to catch on. But given we're in the Europa League uh, and hopefully in it for quite a while... 
Saturday kickoffs and Saturday 3 p.m. kickoffs are going to be at an absolute premium between now and the end of the season. Nevertheless, we will look ahead very briefly to that game at the end of the podcast. But now, time to welcome my guest to shoot the breeze about everything that's been going on at Arsenal this week and beyond. Many of you will be familiar with him from the Arsenal Vision podcast, and he's been on here before as well. So delighted to welcome back Clive Palmer. Hi, Clive. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I just want to touch briefly on the Manchester City game before before we start, is there anything that we can take from that game that we can apply to the rest of this season? Or is it one of those fixtures where, because of the, the circumstances, because of the quality of the opposition and, and basically what everybody expected, it's, it's a game we have to leave in the past and, and start to look forward I'd like to leave it in the past. I think uh, we saw we saw a few tactical nuances that didn't work and on the day as well as we'd hoped they'd work. I think it, as always, when we lose a game, it drives it drives debate, doesn't it? As to why, who's to blame? Mm. Was it the system? Was it the manager? Was it the quality of players? And it's always somewhere in between all of them. Really, and and there's no there's no real need to take that and hold that as a beacon as to where we are and where we're going. I think there are other battles for us to fight out there over the next sort of twelve, thirteen games, which I think we have a good chance of winning those a lot more than against Man City, who are on the back of a defeat, are on the back of really pushing themselves forward and. And and I and I think it just it was one of those games that we did just enough to walk out there with our pride, while knowing we weren't really best positioned to win that. And and in my opinion, Andrew, a lot of that is is down to where we are as a club and and the quality of players we had on the pitch at that period of time. So I think yeah, if, if you were to even bring some of the players into that team that are. You know, if they were fit, like Bellerin and, and Mkhitaryan, for example, instead of Lichsteiner and Iwobi on the right-hand side, then I think we would do a, a little bit better. You yeah. know, that, that's all. I'm I, not saying we would be what a one, but we would have done better. Yeah, I think that's fair. Some people might say that there are players also on the bench who have quality that might be useful to this team. And Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil both started on the bench against yeah. Manchester City. Uh, I, I do wonder if... Perhaps there was an element of Unai Emery thinking, well, does it really make any difference what I do against Manchester City? Maybe these are guys who can help me in different games. And you look at Ozil, he captained the team against Cardiff. Not to great effect. It wasn't a great team performance. I don't think he was any better or worse than than anybody else. And Aaron Ramsey, uh, a useful player and somebody who does seem to fit a little bit more into Emery's uh, style of play or his system or what he wants from players. So I'm curious as to how you see those two being used between now and the end of the season, because people will say, well, you can't really use Ramsey because, you know, if Ramsey proves to be an important cog in the machine, then you've set yourself up for a fall because he's leaving. Uh, I'm slightly more of the opinion that if we find a way to use Aaron Ramsey, an Aaron Ramsey-type player is much easier to find. I'm not saying it's easy, but easier to find than the kind of mercurial talent that is Mesut Ozil. So if, you're, if your squad is being built around Ozil, which it isn't, of course, uh, you, you end up with a bit of a problem. So how do you see both of these players being used? Because it strikes me that if we are going to finish in the top four, and it's a big challenge. We are going to need our best players to find some form and some measure of consistency between now and May. And 
system aside, formation aside, characteristics aside, they are two of our best and most talented players. And we've got to find some way of wringing what we can out of them between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I think they're two of our more talented players. Uh, we could debate if they're our best players. On their very best, well, Nurzel's very best day, he's our best player. Mm. No argument. No argument about that. He's, he has a supreme talent. Right? So I don't think anybody out there questions his talent. We may question his application, his consistency, his consistent influence. But his talent on that day is, is, is right up there. Right? So I think what we have to think about now is how Emery really drives his player relationship. If you listen to him, I feel he's ta- he talks a lot more about players being all the same. They're just the same to him. And I think he really sort of rebels against this star mentality. I think we, as Arsenal fans, have always grown up in the last 15 or so years of having those one or two players that are the stars. Mm. So consistently, right the way through Wenger's reign, we've had that player. Always in the top five in player of the year. There's always somebody. We might not win every year, but we might have a top scorer or player, you know, somebody like that. You know, Van Persie, Henri, Fabregas. There are countless players that have had really stellar seasons, right? So, and he's coming to our club and I think he's saying, well, okay, what's the hierarchy of the dressing room? Uh, Let me get my five captains together. And by the way, I'm going to treat you all the same. And I think a lot of this is adjusting to how he treats the dressing room. I think our previous manager, I think he cosseted certain people. They mm-hmm. were allowed to do certain things. They always play, didn't get substituted. And he's not doing that. And so what you find online is a discourse between, okay, he's not treating him as I'm used to. What's the problem with him? Rather than not looking at what the player is producing, if the player is part of his future plans, if the player is adapting to Emery and how he wants to play and train or not. And I think, you know, that's me looking at it from a football aspect. And the, the common denominator between those two players, Andrew, as you well know, is the financial side of things. Um, one wants a big wage, one already has a big wage. The club doesn't seem able to actually sustain both of them or either of them. And so now we're in a situation where we are, one is going, one potentially could be going. And what we're saying is you, you are no longer key. We can't sustain you at this wage level to where we want to go. And so I think part of this is financial and part of this is the dynamics of the dressing room and the star mentality aspect. Mm. It is going to be interesting to see what he does with them because, uh, you know, home games against mid-table opposition, if that's all we can use Mesut Ozil for, you know, it really calls into question his future, which I think we're all questioning his future because of the way he's been used this season and because of the way the uh, the, the coaches used him and, and the way this season has played out, you know, uh, at the start of the yeah. season, it was hard to see, you know, he spoke, uh, you know, about wanting Emery or about wanting Ozil and wanting Ramsey in his team and, and circumstances of... Uh, you know, as I said in the live stream last night with, with Andrew, I think there's a lot to come out in the wash about what's gone on this season behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're 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 not going to get to the truth of it if we ever do uh, anytime soon. So we've just got to to hope that we can find a way of using these guys. But when we when we look at these thirteen games and this chase for the top four, how well positioned do you think we are as? As a team, as a squad of players, I think the injuries are, are really unfortunate. Bellerin, uh, I think we'll feel a lot between between now and and May. Actually, just while I'm on Bellerin and I've mentioned him, what would your 
solution be for the right back position? It's it's one which gives me a lot of pause for thought, to be honest, because I it's it's like choosing the least worst option, um, and none of the options are particularly palatable. So I'm curious as to what you feel you would do. Like uh, to me, it doesn't feel like there's one guy who's going to to fill the gap. Like, Carl yeah. Jenkinson isn't going to suddenly step up and be that guy. I think there are games when he's going to use Licksteiner, and there are games when, when he's fit again, he might use Maitland-Niles, and there might be even games where, if we're playing with a back three, he could use Jenkinson as a as a wingback. Um, yeah. I think I think that's how I would do it. I think I would definitely rotate it. And I'm going to give you one more name, but I need to know if you're sitting down, right? So I am. In, I, I, uh, and the other name would be Mustafi. Ah! And, uh, <laughs> and sorry, I'm about to... I just lost about four million followers there but like, <laughs> but like um, I would definitely consider Mustafi in that role but you have to look at it tactically right because when you play you have an in possession uh, formation an uh, out of possession formation and having a sort of a, a right back like Mustafi what that does is it says you know you know, out of possession, we have a, a flat back four, and you have, say, Kalashnik dropping back in. Mm. But in possession, Kalashnik disappears like he always does, and then you roll into a three, and then that suits Mustafi on that right side quite easily, right? So yeah. I think we could use him in that role. I think that'll like a top, take a lot of pressure off him in the centre of our defence. And I also like the back three. I think a lot of times, I was saying this earlier on the, on the podcast this week, a lot of times as fans, we we impose our own football philosophies on our feedback almost and on the and on the manager when the manager doesn't quite hit the mark as far as we are concerned we then have a a pop at him and actually i think i'm i'm a fan of his tactical flexibility when you are that flexible tactical tactically sorry you're not going to get it right every time but what I am not a fan of is playing exactly the same way every single week, every single moment in the game, regardless of what the game is telling you, regardless of what the game is offering you. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of a manager who doesn't actually scout the opposition and, and actually treat them with respect. Well, we that's had that. What, that's what we we've had. had. We've had that. We've forgotten what we all asked for. Now, this guy's is, is inherited a squad that we can say is um, half and half at the moment. We're just about to hit one of the biggest transitions that we've ever hit in the summer. And he's trying to do the maximum with his squad. And sometimes you have to adjust your tactics, maybe more than you want to, because of the weaknesses you have on the pitch. But too fair to him, due to sometimes a lot due to injury. And so I, I like his modern coaching approach. That's not to say he is without fault. Yeah. yeah but, I, uh, but I do like the way he approaches the game of football. So it was put to us, myself and Andrew, on the live stream, which is available for uh, Patreon members uh, as a video and also a podcast, that maybe Emery's identity is exactly that, is yeah. the tactical flexibility, is the willingness to change things from week to week, depending on who we're playing, depending on where he sees the strength of the opposition, and he sets up his team, I suppose, A, to nullify those strengths, and then B, to take advantage of what he perceives to be their weaknesses. Yeah. But is that, are the two things, or are there two sides of this, if you like, in that tactical flexibility can be part of your identity, but how you play the game is another distinct part of that as well yeah. and we're not sure about that second bit 
So we're, we're sure he's a guy who likes to be flexible tactically and shift to a back three, a back four, halftime changes, you know, playing the, the formation he did at Manchester City, which nobody really expected him to do. And I think in the opening minutes, uh, is it Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher? One of them on, on co-commentary says, well, it's very brave. This is brave. What, what yeah. Unai Emery has done by playing essentially a 4-4-2 at Man City when I can't really remember the last time we played a 4-4-2. I know we had that 4-2-2-2 thing at, uh, at Fulham earlier in the season, but a traditional Arsene Wenger-esque 4-4-2, I, I can't remember the last time we saw that. So it's trying to, it's trying to marry those two things together, isn't it? It's, it's how he approaches the game, but then how do his players play the game? And that's where I think uh, people are a bit more hung up. Yeah, I think you make a great point there. I think a lot of this down to the emphasis by by what you see the game or what the coaching and playing emphasis is. You can play a four four two against another team, and it could be very much more attacking, right? And the way it's played and the way it's uh, executed. We we all know that the four four two this time was used to protect our fullbacks because Man City throw themselves down that area in many, many numbers, cross across the box, low crosses, five-a-side tappings, right? That's what that's what they do. Mm. But there are other aspects of the game which I never spotted, and actually Adrian Clark spotted brilliantly. By having the two strikers up, up top, you sort of stop the feed into the centre of the pitch and you force things wide into wide areas. Now, I just thought we were just defending narrowly, but actually by forcing things wide, what you're saying is, okay, we, we think we can handle your crosses. Now, therein lies the bravery. Mm. I mean, Leicester City won the league by forcing people wide and then defending crosses, which made, you know, Robert Hoof look like a well-beater because he can defend crosses, right? But if you run him down straight lines, it's a problem. So um, Atletico Madrid do that right now. We saw it last season. They let you have all this possession in, in the key, just outside the box, in wide areas. When you get into that box, they chop your legs off, right? They kill you in there, right? So, um, and they, and they barricade that area. So it is a tactic that I think I understand and I think can work. Would I have done it against Man City, one of the best crossing teams ever? Well, I'm not so <laughs> sure. Um, but would I? Would it have worked better with better personnel? I actually think it would have done. Right. So, um, mm. so this is therein lies the problem. How you absorb what you've seen? What the emphasis is? What you've seen? Do you understand it? Or, or are we just criticising because we don't understand it? We don't quite recognise what he's trying to achieve. And because he hasn't done, we're then not looking really holistically at the reasons why it hasn't worked. And that's what I'm trying to do at the moment, try my best while giving this guy a chance because we all know he hasn't really had a full opportunity yet. And I think after the summer, I think we can really judge in a, in a normal Arsenal fans harsh way. Yeah, a normal, normal way. Yeah, <laughs> as we're we're renowned for that kind of level-headed, cool, calm, online uh, debate and discussion in yeah. which everybody treats each other with uh, respect and uh, maturity. And maturity, exactly, exactly. But um, I suppose you talk about uh, quality of personnel in that system, and I, I heard you talk about it on the the Arsenal Vision podcast this week. Uh, you guys were discussing quality of personnel and how how big an impact that is, and I suppose defensively is where I'm thinking about what we can do to improve because I remember reading at the start of the season, Darren Burgess, who's the head of high performance, did uh, an interview pre-season just before the season began and he he spoke quite specifically about who how Unai Emery had identified 
the defence is an area of weakness for Arsenal and somewhere that he was really, really going to focus on. Yeah. I accept 100% that there have been injuries and badly timed injuries. You know, you think about Socrates picking up an injury after uh, himself and Koscielny played a brilliant game together against Chelsea and looked like, okay, this looks like a partnership. And all of a sudden, he's gone. Uh, uh, in the Chelsea game, of course, we lose Hector Bellerin. We lose Rob Holding uh, at Manchester United. So there are, there are issues in terms of uh, injuries and having a, a big impact. And I, I hold my hands up, and I, I think it's a difficult thing for any manager to deal with. But... I also wonder a little bit about how much you can get from some of these players. And if you're a coach that is absolutely focused on defending or improving the defense, when you have to play players like Licksteiner, who I'm not going to be cruel about because I think he's a guy who's just gone on a season too long or played an extra season in the wrong league, yeah. is probably the, the right way to put that. And uh, and your pal Mustafi, <laughs> who who uh, I'm uh, you know my my tether is here and the end of it is so far beyond I, I can't even begin to explain to you, you know wh- how do you as a manager cope with a defender who in all the time he's been here and probably from very early on people were saying God if that guy could stay in his feet maybe he should just stay on his feet. I mean surely somebody in the three years he's been here has said listen. Stay on your feet. Try not to fall over when the attacker looks at you funny. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, that's all it takes. You just have yeah. to look at him the wrong way and he falls over. So this part of me is concerned about our lack of defensive improvement. But at the same time, I I just don't know how you can improve on something like uh, like Mustafi in the way that he plays. So I have yeah. some some sympathy there. I mean, is it a case of having to set up differently? To give your well, back four more protection? We've tried that, haven't we? We yeah. tried the diamond, we tried the two in front, we tried the back three, we tried lots of things to, to make not just Mustafi look good, but other players look good. And there comes to a point you think, hold on a minute here, have we, have we got the right players? <laughs> have we got the right players? Where are we going? I always felt Mustafi was a was a poor recruitment, and that's nothing against him. He's, a, he's an okay player, but I, I didn't think we needed him. I didn't think we needed somebody who was undersized. I felt he was too similar in profile to Callum Chambers maybe he wasn't super dominant in pace he wasn't really that tall he, he wasn't really super strong in the duels so why buy another one I'm a big mm. believer in that you should have different types of players you know we lost Perma Asaka he was six foot 100 so why are we buying a five foot 11 centre back it doesn't make sense it's obviously somebody with size with pace with power to really be the the totem pole by which our other defenders could work from right so we never bought that player we bought Mustafi so it's a bad recruitment if you look at his history as a, as a youth player and as a international player in other countries he spent time in holding midfield he spent time as a youngster as a fullback the way he tackles is like a fullback if you watch how fullbacks get, yeah. uh, drive you into areas and they go to ground when you're a centre back and you're a last line of defence you do not tackle like that you, you just don't do it right? you can see how someone's educated by the way they tackle you look at Callum Chambers by the way you can see 
where positionally he is more comfortable. He's more in co- he's more comfortable not being the last man. He tackles like a midfielder, so he can lose tackles, but he's tackling, trying to win the ball and set off attacks. I've always noticed that about him. In one-on-ones, he doesn't tackle like his life depends on it. He tackles like somebody that spent a lot of time in centre midfield. And funny enough, at Fulham, he's having the best run of his career in centre midfield in front of the back four, and he's looking very, very good in that role. And so you can tell about a player's education and what they're good at, what their primary skills are, but what they do wrong and what they find easy, right? So Mustafi's easy part of his game is his distribution. Guess what fullbacks do? They distribute a lot, right? So he looks like a blown up fullback who maybe lost a step of speed that was pushed into a centre of defence because he was quite aggressive. He uses his aggression as his primary skill and when he's short physically, what he does is that he goes to ground to make up the gap, Right? And that yeah. is somebody that physically under stress that does that. So to me, as I was scouting that player, that is obvious. That is an obvious weakness, and that's obviously what we didn't need. So when when a player plays for Arsenal, I try my best to see the positive side in them. But really, this was a recruit, recruitment issue. And then it comes on to my other big bugbear at the moment. We hold on to these players too long. And we work it through and we try to nurture them. But actually, we've got to cut them loose much sooner. And this is why we end up not selling players at the right price, right? Because we do this and we've done this so many times. Well, I mean, no, sorry to cut across, but I mean, I think, uh, you know, Mustafi at this point, uh, you know, personally, uh, I think he's he's done, he's toast. Uh, You know, he's he's there's no way back, really, um, simply because it's just too much. I mean, he could play fantastic football between now and the end of the season. And I would still advocate selling him in the summer for for as much as we could get. So I I wonder if um, perhaps part of that hanging on to players a bit too long was was more of an Arsene Wenger thing than an an Arsenal thing and I do wonder if we'll see a bit of a bit of change in that regard uh, this summer I, I really hope so Andrew. I really hope so I think we, there are players that we all like and a lot of the reasons why we like them is we can see they're the right types right so Mavra Panos for example we all love him you know, he's seen him play about wild half games but you know <laughs> we can all look at him and we all know football up to a degree. We can look at him and say, you know what, mate, you're you're the right size. You've got you can you can pass the ball. And I I've seen you outrun people. You've got a chance. Yeah. You've got a real chance. Let's see how you develop. So he looks right for the position that we want him to play. And he's only twenty and there's a great chance that he's going to improve as a twenty year old. But he looks right. He's not small, he's not slow, he's not lacking in composure, or he's not he's not lacking in aggression. So, young man, you've got a chance, right? And then hopefully he can, he can improve while he's under our watch. L- let me ask you this then, given that you uh, and I would agree that in terms of uh, his his physicality and, and just natural position is, is clearly centre-half, we have three games coming up against uh, Huddersfield, who are bottom of the league with 11 points this season. Pierre-Emerick yeah. Aubameyang has scored more goals than the entire Huddersfield team combined. Uh, we've then got, I think it's um, Bournemouth and Southampton, or Southampton and Bournemouth, one or the other. Um, is this a time to say, OK, we've seen enough of what Mustafi can do over the years and certainly Unai Emery will have seen enough over the course of this season to give him a, a clear view of what kind of a player he's got I, I think the the unfortunate timing to Socrates uh, came at a point when maybe Emery was uh, had decided to bench him 
and to leave him there as his, you know, maybe his backup central defender. Uh, yeah. he, he wasn't able to do that because Socrates had been injured. I know we are putting a lot on a 20-year-old who's barely played. And Arsene Wenger said something quite interesting last season about how when you play a young defender, you know he's going to cost you points. But yeah. the, the the return from that down the years is, you, you know, hopefully you've got a, a really good defender on your hands. They will make mistakes. Is it a case of balancing the fact that a young defender will make mistakes against an experienced defender who does make mistakes? Yeah, I think we we have a we have a decision to make. How how are we going to invest in this kid? How are we going to give him minutes? And maybe Huddersfield away against a very low scoring team is that perfect opportunity to to do that. Mm. But uh, I think uh, Bournemouth at home when they have got some pretty lively forwards, it could be a bit tougher for him. Now I'm not saying that he can't handle it, but there's a risk associated to that. There's a, there's a slightly greater risk, but maybe there's a slightly great, greater risk for playing Mustafi in this role. So we 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 have to we have a choice to make, you know. And this is what Emery is going through, and this is why he covers this up with systemic changes, because he's not sure what he has in with in front of him. I would I'm a big fan of what Magma Panos could be. We've all got him in our minds as the greatest defender in the world. Yeah, because we need because <laughs> we need him to be. We uh, want him to be, and we're desperate for him to be. Yeah, we've seen flashes and we've seen enough. Why do you think? Wow, that that looks right, and we haven't forgotten. What we have to be aware of that he will play a couple of good games. He'll have a, he'll have a shocker somewhere, and it, it doesn't mean he's a bad player. It means he's a player that's learning. And I think if we can get our minds around that, and then and we'll recognise that not many other teams in the top six are playing twenty-year-old centre backs. Yeah. They're just they're just not doing it, and we are doing it because of the injury situation and maybe some poor recruitment potentially in over previous years. So if we can keep that context in our minds, then let's play him on Saturday. But yeah, but I, as I said, I don't mind Mustafi playing right back as well. Do, yeah. do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I do, I do. I mean, I think. Um you know, the, the analysis that we make, it's quite... We have to, I suppose, adapt the way that we think about players and the way that players are treated in the modern era. Because I can remember a few months back watching the 88-89 season review video, right? Mm-hmm. And the first home game that season, if I'm correct, was against Aston Villa. And we lost 3-2. And at least two of the goals came from terrible mistakes. One might have been David O'Leary. One might have been Tony Adams. Might have been Steve Bold. I can't quite remember who made the mistakes. But I remember sitting there thinking, holy fuck. <laughs> if, if that was now, these players would be getting absolutely nailed to the wall uh, yeah. for, for those mistakes. So there is, there is a cultural difference nowadays in how players are allowed to develop you know you see it a little bit with Alex Iwobi who a lot of people are writing off and saying he's just not good enough and and maybe he's not good enough at this moment in time to be starting every game or to be a player who assumes or is asked to take on that much responsibility but I also think he's a player who maybe doesn't also get as much credit as he deserves sometimes sometimes he plays very poorly he made a terrible mistake against Manchester City on uh, on Sunday which really I I don't know if if it would have made a huge amount of difference in the grand scheme of things anyway I think City would have been too strong for us but you can't start a game like that but at the same time he is a player who's got seven assists 
for us this season, which is probably as high as anybody else in the team. And you can say that speaks to a lack of quality elsewhere, and that might be a very valid point, but it's hard sometimes for players to develop in this modern era because there's almost no tolerance for anything that isn't perfection. I, I totally agree. And I think I can remember at the start of the year, we did a podcast on the vision about Gwen Doozy, right? And it's just a podcast all about him. And he, he was going for a really purple patch and we, you know, we went large on him. We went big. I, I went big on him in particular. And, um, and a couple of, a few weeks, months later, he, he was having a bit of a rocky time. He looked a little bit tired and I'm thinking, crikey, I hope no one re-listens to that podcast again. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and, but, the manager kept playing him and he kept investing in him and he kept playing him regardless. And other people saying, why is he playing those? Or why is he playing Ramsey? Because they're the names that we're comfortable with. Now we saw the result on Sunday versus Man City versus Kevin De Bruyne and co. And the 19-year-old looked as good as them quite easily. And so if you can create an environment and will be part of an environment where a player can grow without the lens, the modern lens, it needs a really strong manager to keep playing that player. And sometimes I've been party to this as well. Sometimes I've wanted Iwobi out of the team, out you know, out of it completely because I just felt he needed a rest and he's dropping he drops in confidence at times. And but the management have decided to invest in him. And I suppose we have to we have to do the same, you know. So I look I think back to Robert Pires days. I'll, I'll keep mentioning people that you love or hate here, right? So <laughs> I can remember Robert Pires in 2002, 2003, I used to moan at him for not tracking back. I used to constantly go on about it. He's not tracking back, he's not tracking back. Now, in them days, it was a private moan. Maybe it would be slightly different in the in the Twitter in the Twitter era as such. Yeah. A year, a year you know, and, and so forth. A couple a year later, he's part of the, you know, one of the, the best team the Premier League's ever seen. I just wonder, even those players that we look back with nostalgia, if they were playing today, how we would we would receive them? Yeah, I think we'd be criticising them a lot. You know, I think you know my favourite ever player is Patrick Vieira. There were games when he would do silly things, get sent off, and there were games he would jog. But in my mind, he was the greatest midfielder there's ever been in the history of football, and he never had a bad game. <laughs> I just wonder. I wonder what the stats would show of his running ability today and things like that. Yeah. You know, I just wonder. You know, so we have to breathe a little bit and give people a time to develop. Let's not be the club where players don't want to come because of the toxic atmosphere around the club. Let's be the club that supports its players, even though quietly we have angst because we're not where we should be but we own the perception of this club up to a degree from a fan perspective let's try to be a little bit more tolerant yeah i mean look i i i, I get it and i think it, it applies to me it certainly applies more to young players and a young homegrown player who's come through the academy from the age of nine you know uh, who who whatever else you might think about him he always gives his best and he doesn't hide and he 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 makes mistakes, but he still is only twenty two years of age, which is yeah. which is still no age. Uh, and he's played a lot of football, and he has been effective for us. Uh, other players, you know, when you get to twenty six, twenty seven, and you Mustafi your way around the pitch, I think tolerance and understanding uh, only goes so far. Um, but but there you go. But look, you mentioned a few minutes ago about this summer being transitional, and many people thought that. This summer, the one just gone, when Arsene Wenger departed and um, 
Unai Emery took over and the new structure uh, behind the scenes, this new football structure with Gazidis Mislinta and Raul Sanyehi, this was going to be the transitional season. But it seems clear to me that that was the season of, or the summer of, of change. Yeah. And that this season coming up, or this summer coming up, is the summer of, of genuine transition. Because when you look at the squad, um, it's going to be one shaped by what Unai Emery thinks he's got and what he thinks he doesn't have and what he needs. So he was yeah. always going to to spend this season saying, okay, he'll do, he's good, him, him, him. Uh, I'm sure he's playing that game of uh, keep or sell at home. You know, he's got little little uh, subutio men for each player. And, you know, week by week, he'll be adding to the sell category and uh, taking yeah. away from the keep category. Um, but when you look at the players who are going, Czech is going, player of vast experience and vast, uh, you know, real backup to, to Bernd Leno. Um, Aaron Ramsey is going. Danny Welbeck is going. Mesut Ozil, Probably, if they can, yeah. if they can get rid of him, I think they will get rid of him. Uh, Mustafi, we would like to see uh, go. Licksteiner, there's no way he can get another year's contract. I just don't see any reason for that. We've got Callum Chambers out on loan, who might come back. Uh, it's a confusing situation. El Neni has played what two Premier League games this season, yeah. and he's only ever, I think, he's played two halves of a Premier League game. So he's a guy who realistically we should be moving on. Um, That's a lot. That's Ospina will be going. So, you know, I know he's out on loan and everything else. Monreal could go. You never know. Yeah, well, I mean, Monreal and Koscielny are in the, if we're being generous, in the September of their careers because they're both, uh, well, Koscielny's 33. Monreal will be 33 later this month. Naturally, um, whether we want to keep them or not, they are going to need to be replaced sooner rather than later. So bearing all that in mind, and bearing in mind what I'm sure you heard this week from David Ornstein on the on the Arscast when he was talking about what's happened behind the scenes in terms of Sven Mislintat, the need to appoint a technical director, the need to appoint a new head of scouting to identify the players that we want to bring in this summer uh, plans, I suppose would have been derailed because of the departure and the falling out with Mislintat. I'm a little bit scared of, of the summer coming up. I have to admit I'm a bit worried. uh, I'm, I'm, I am beyond excited. You're excited. Yeah. Because I felt we need to change the face of our club for many years. You've heard me say many times, we've got to blow this thing up, right? So there comes a period contractually when it almost tells you you're going to do it anyway, right? So so that makes me think, so what is the plan per se, right? So I I think we had a a top level, the team behind the team, organizational structure of change, Maybe up to a year or so ago when uh, your mate Ivan was in charge, right? So <laughs> he started that process off and then eventually the final card of Venga going was the, the coup de grace. And now we have a new team behind the team in place with a couple of little baubles given to the coach. And mm. so, so for me, the first year was all about discovery for Emery. What have I got here? What's the club? How's the club operate? What team have I got? How can I coach this team of players without the responsibility that Venga had? So, so he's going through a, a piece of discovery. First scene comes in, five captains, you're my boys, keep the dressing room on side, let's see what you've all got. Okay, 
now I know what you've got. Right? So now I'm going to start making an impression upon you. I'm going to find out who, who's with me. That you're not with me. Now I'm going to invest in the people who are with me. And I think that's what he's doing. And that's where the angst is coming because some of those people he's not investing in, either that we're not keeping because they're our favorite players for some most people. And um, we don't like that. We want to use them. So, um, so I think he's going for a period of discovery. And I think next season now, and you've named all the, the players, and some of that is just happening because their contracts are running out. Mm. And some of that is age, and some of that is we've got one year to go. So in the new Arsenal, they have to be going. right? So we, we are going to see a significant transition. Right? So we go from discovery to transition change real change on the pitch we're we're one person out behind the pitch one of the people out behind the pitch and that's friend going and uh, if you did listen closely to emery's press conference around suarez signing he mentioned the name monchi a couple of times in that press conference mm. and i do think the emery press conferences are starting to be worth listening to now yes his communication is getting better and there are lines to be read between and he mentioned Monchi a couple of times. It would not surprise me if that's done already and he comes. And what that means is we have a, a, a team that meshes behind a team that's changing on the pitch. I think what we had this year was maybe not a team behind the team. We got a team that's in, you know, basically in two stages, half of Enga team and primarily being coached by a new coach and some of his new players, mm. but we're not quite sure if they are his new players. But what we will see this time next year, we'll have a we'll have a greater feeling that they are his players brought by a unit that's working together behind the team. And I think then we start to can really judge and critique and praise how we want to look at football based on a unit and I don't think we've had a unit this season I think we've had a unit that's transitioning and changing so I think that's why I'm excited because any flourishing organization has to be working from the top down and I don't think we've had that for a number of years but we have a greater chance of getting closer to that top down view and hopefully it will manifest itself with good recruitment on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that, you know, despite this structure whereby you have, uh, you know, head of recruitment and in some ways the, the continental style where the club buys the players and the, the, mm -hmm. the head coach has to, to work with the players that he's given, you know, you've got to have some input from that guy in terms of where he wants players and what kind of players that he wants. It's not just good enough to say, I want a left back. Yeah. If you want, uh, you know, or I want a right back, you know, if you want a Bellerin right back, not a Licksteiner right back, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So you've got to yeah. have some input into not just where you want the players, but the kind of players that you want. And I think if it's a case that the Munchy thing is is happening, that means there's some kind of joined up thinking in terms of what we're going to do. Uh, in terms of recruiting players, how we're going to recruit them. And if it's a model that follows the one at Sevilla, at least we can sort of see what way he operates. And that strikes me as um, the kind of the kind of system that Arsenal need to use because we're not a Chelsea, we're not a United, we're not a Man City, we're not going to spend that kind of money. We have to go it a different way in the transfer yeah. window, which is why I think people are a bit disquieted by the departure of Mislintat because, you know, some of the signings he's had to make 
have been stopgaps simply because we needed an experienced centre half. We brought in Socrates. We needed a goalkeeper. He's brought in a a goalkeeper from the Bundesliga who he knows quite well and who was available. Uh, Licksteiner. Eh, eh. Everyone can make a mistake, right? But what yeah. he has done is brought us Genduzzi and Torreira, who are two players who for the basically £30 million could be the future of the Arsenal midfield for three, four, five seasons. Hopefully, you know, if they flourish and develop uh, and we can manage to hang on to them if they do that, you know, those are the kind of signings that, that we need to make. And that's why I'm just a little bit concerned if it's the Raul Sanyehi thing and dealing with the, the mega super agents because I'm not sure we've got the money to get the right players from those guys. Whereas I think if we yep. can use a Manchi type uh, head of football or director of football to identify those talents at a point where they are affordable to us, then that's how we can build a competitive team. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think the reason why I'm so excited for the summer is because I think we're going to find out exactly what we are. I think we, 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 we're not quite sure of our identity historically recently. We've all been wrapped up into one individual and our identity has been that manager. We've come out of that now and we're developing into something else. But what is it? Now, what do we want to be? We're not be able to be a, a Manchester United or a Chelsea or buy at that table when people are ready-made and they're 24, 25, and they mm. cost 50 million quid upwards. We're not. We we assume we're not going to be that that team. We're not. Not we're, not for a good while. No, no. And I don't think we're going to go back to the the days of austerity when we're buying 16-year-olds and playing them at 17, 18 and really you know, doing more than we should have done mm. punching above our weight with you know, an 18-year-old centre midfield versus PSV Eindhoven in the Champions League last 16. Right? So the, we're not going to do that again. Right? Yeah. So I think that was, that was too much the other way. But I'm, I am hoping we are going to move towards a Sevilla or Dortmund type model where we are really intelligent in the marketplace and are buying players before they have that big move, you know, and, and Torreira and Granduzzi sort of fit that type of model. You know, in two, three years' time, they're going to be high-value players. So either we secure them into our squad or we, if the situation occurs where we feel we can get a better player for them, then we move them on. And I think we have to get used to that. I mean, we mustn't fall in love with players. We must fall in like with them. We must like them. Right? So <laughs> we, we, mustn't, we mustn't watch the game through our favourite players' eyes. We must think, well, you know what, I really like him. But he it might be better. There could be somebody else out there. And right now, I don't think we're good at adjusting to that. Right? So I think, you know, I want to see us be that intelligent football club, the one that buys the players that we are not quite sure of. But when we see them, they're exactly what we need. I don't want to be the player as the team that actually bids for Mustafi, overpays for him when no one else was bidding for him, buying for £35 million and end up selling Gabriel to Juventus for 10, sorry, to Valencia for £10 million. And they have our old centre mid, centre-half, and we have, one day we have somebody that yeah. can't run, can't jump, not <laughs> as quick, and we pay three times the money for him, right? So uh. that's not smart. That that isn't smart recruitment. So I want to stop us doing that and stop being a laughing stock in the in the in the marketplace because that's what we are. That's what we were, mm. and that's being changed. And that's that hurts as an Arsenal fan to know that. But that's the truth. We have we have messed away our advantage of the Emirates Stadium since 2014. We had a significant advantage. That's gone now. 
Um, you know, match day revenue isn't so much a big part. It's all around TV revenue in the Champions League. And while we were putting money in our pockets and saving our money, other teams were investing in players. And now the marketplace has gone crazy and we have to go really smart to recover. And that's why probably people are upset about Sven because he was our smart trick, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he was the one that found man for panels. I mean, how do you find that player for two million quid? Right, so it's amazing who found that. Right, so so we're hoping that continues, and that's where the uh, uncertainty is. And I understand your uncertainty, Andrew, because we're not sure if Monchi or whoever that person is is going to do that as well as Swain potentially could have done. Mm. Okay, well, look, we'll see. Uh, it's something we'll we'll find out in due course. And uh, you know, I saw some story where. Uh, it was Arsenal hoping to appoint a technical director by the start of the next season, and it was like, "Oh no, hang on a minute, we need to get that. We need to get that sorted out as quickly as possible because, you know, we've got a lot of business to do this summer, a lot, and not just not just incoming business, but outgoing business too. You know, we we've got to buy better, but we've also got to sell better and sell smarter. But look. That's all to come. We'll have plenty of time to discuss that. Um, for now, let's keep fingers crossed we get the three points against Huddersfield. Mavropanos hat trick uh, and a red card. Uh, Clive, thanks as always. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, man. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much indeed to Clive. If you'd like a bit more Clive in your life, follow him on Twitter. He's at Clive P-A-F-C, at Clive P-A-F-C. And of course, he is one of the regulars on the excellent Arsenal Vision podcast as well. So check that out if you haven't already. So looking ahead this weekend to uh, Huddersfield, on paper, you would say, OK, Arsenal are Arsenal and they're in sixth place, only three points off the top four. Huddersfield have sacked their manager. They're bottom of the table. They've only got 11 points on paper this is a game that Arsenal should win fairly routinely however Arsenal are also Arsenal as we know and away from home we haven't been particularly great we drew at Brighton we lost to Southampton we lost to West Ham so there are issues there and Unai Emery said before this game we've got defensive issues that we've got to sort out particularly away from home because we can't afford to keep dropping these points if we want to keep up with that top four chase simple as that we've got to win this game and I think it feels to me anyway like the kind of game where Unai Emery should go for it a little uh, and try and offset some of our defensive weaknesses by not necessarily overloading the 
attack, but placing the emphasis on attacking football, on being, as he liked to say in the past, the protagonists, rather than trying to be a bit safety first, a bit cautious away from home. And it feels like this is a game where you don't necessarily need to be. You're not taking anything for granted. You're not just turning up and saying, well, you know, we're here, we're going to win. You've got to fight for your points in the Premier League in every game. There's no question about that. But... If we're strong anywhere, it's in attack. We've got two great strikers. We've got Aaron Ramsey. We've got Mesut Ozil. We've got Dennis Suarez now. We've got Alex Iwobi. We've got Henrik Mkhitaryan back in the squad. And we can provide the defense with a platform, if you like, with Torreira and Genduzzi, who should be able to, to deal with what Huddersfield have in midfield and protect a back four, which may or may not include a young player who is potentially someone who could make mistakes or Shkodran Mustafi, who often does make mistakes. So, look, take the game to them from the start. Let's have a good first half. We are capable of it, not very often, but we have done it. Have a good first half, put them to the sword, make life really difficult for them, score the goals, and get this team going again because we need as many points as possible and that starts tomorrow against Huddersfield so fingers crossed for that James and I will be doing an Arscast Extra for you that'll be available either Sunday or Monday it might be Sunday this week but it depends on the recording time we will see but we will have an Arscast Extra for you so tune in for that thank you as ever for listening here's to a great weekend with three points for Arsenal until the next one take it easy cheers bye bye Hello, Chris. Chris Sutton. Hi. Yes, it's your media manager here. I know you're lined up for this Sky Sports show tomorrow night. They're going to ask you who the greatest Dutchman ever to play in the Premier League is. We think, we've uh, brainstormed here, done a bit of blue sky thinking, you should say Virgil van Dijk. Yes, yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris. Yes, I know. Everybody knows it's Dennis Bergkamp. But if you say this, Arsenal Twitter will go crazy. The social media metrics will be off the chart, Chris, and that's what we're looking for here. Yes, yes, look, I know you're going to look like a complete cunt, but think about the likes and the retweets. Chris, you could be trending in North London for up to 20 minutes, and let's face it, that's about 18 minutes longer than your entire England career. Good, good. Listen, we're here for you. We know what we're doing, Chris. We're not just out to make you look like a clueless bastard. Good man, good man. We'll catch up after, Chris. (laughs) I can't believe he fell for that. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. 
celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.